Episode 5 of Poem Life Library Blocks and Heartstones. Welcome to Episode 5. I left off in the last podcast that was about autograph books when I was halfway through the 15 page note from my cousin Luann in junior high. There are a couple of things to clarify that she men- mentions before continuing. In history class, There were these question boxes at the end of each section of the book that we were supposed to answer. I would often give Luann the answers in exchange for her making a maze for me that I could solve. She would draw these elaborate designs with only one solution. Sometimes they would take her the whole day. I loved them. Also in junior high, there was one big room that held both the library and the study hall. The study hall teacher's desk was at the front of the room, and if you wanted to go to the library, you had to get a library block from her desk. These were just simple little wooden blocks painted red, black, and blue. Kids were always diving across the room for those blocks. In the library, you could sit behind a bookcase and hide out over there. I don't remember who any of the study hall teachers or monitors were, but basically the idea was... They were just there to keep us from killing each other, and everything else was fair game. The library block thing was really adhered to, though, because the librarian would get mad if there were more than three of us over there at a time. Well, she she never moved from her desk, though, and it looked like she was there all day long just moving one pile of books from one side of the desk to the other, and it always looked like it was the same pile of books. So I ended that last podcast by saying Luann's life has haunted me. I think there are lots of people and places and things that haunt poets. They keep going back to them over and over in their lives. This is a poem I wrote about Luann. It has many revisions and was first written after she died. It's called Cousin. This was a girl who took multicolored thread and stitched the names of all of her friends into the deep blue denim of her jeans. Kenny Ray's name was by her crotch. He thought that was funny. Study hall was in one half of the library. You had to get one of the three library blocks to go check out a book. She stole them for me. In a blaze of bleached hair and tight jeans, she dashed to Mr. Morrison's desk and grabbed one and then she placed it on my desk without a word. She wrote me a 15-page note, started it at school, looped it along on the bus, interrupted it at home for a fight with her stepsister, and then called me speechless and cold. She finally hung up and taped a strand of her stepsister's hair to the last page saying, I got the best of her. She drew mazes during math. They were easy, but I liked them. Enjoyed snaking my way through confusion as long as the exit was clear. At the creek, she flirted too long, too quick with these guys who wanted us to follow them into the woods, and I lost my glasses running from them. When she was 28, she told us she had been sexually abused as a child and no one would speak to her then. Her voice had always been so tiny and soft, never rising. She was never angry. 
She liked that poem, I'm nobody, who are you? Are you nobody too? I copied the poem, and she nailed it to her bedroom wall, and we locked ourselves in the bathroom and tried to change an F to a B on her grade card. She talked and talked, unable to listen to my silence. I was always distant, watching her as if someone watched me at the same time. Roses she piled in a basket, her fingernails the same color, second-place ribbons. She slunk around the tables, smoke clouds in the air, country music, slow and drawn out like a cat in heat all night in your backyard. She leaned down to each man. Buy a flower for your lady? She died in a car accident in Oklahoma City on her way to a new job. Her body lay in the street. The 15-page note is buried in a stack of college essays, unfinished poems, blurry photographs. What job did she have? What does a girl who fights for library blocks and offers you a yanked-out hair do for a living? After she constructed a maze, I would give her the answers to the history questions, and she copied them quickly. She dropped out at 13, had a baby at 15, and another at 17, and she sold roses in bars. And she said at 28, my father used to rape me. I was afraid of her. She opened herself up to the world. She didn't care that Tracy said, I don't want my name on your slutty jeans. I'm not your friend. She had freckles across her nose, her cheeks. Her hair was like mine, dishwater blonde, until she started bleaching it, the color of this page. She smelled like urine when she was younger. They said there was something wrong with her bladder. She wanted to race me down our grandparents' hill, and she would always win. She wrapped cheap paper dolls in purple tissue for me one Christmas. I was embarrassed. And she gave me things, and she was alive. At her slumber party, we slept in the treehouse in the pasture, and her brother's friend scared us. My boyfriend's rough fingers kept digging into my skin. We walked down a path in the moonlight. We were on the ground. His fingers were rough and insistent, and we were alone near the rose bushes of my great-grandparents' abandoned house. The library blocks were heavy. They were wood painted red, black, and blue. But the paint was worn away around the edges. You had to have one to go over and check out a book. She set it on my desk and kept walking. <clears throat> As I'm sitting here at my desk now, I can look out the window and see the treehouse in this old oak tree just up the incline. There's been a tree house in that tree since the turn of the century when my grandfather was a child and he and his dad built one there. The tree house was part of the Poetry Museum when it first opened. We had the wood replaced and the stairs redone and I painted chalkboard paint inside for kids 
and adults to ride on. When the museum moved across the pasture and down by 438 Road, and that was in 2015, the treehouse fell into disrepair. It's still there, but it's probably not safe to climb up in. It was a two-story treehouse when we were kids, and we had the slumber party out here. It's very strange to be looking out this window and thinking about how thick the trees used to be here and how we ran around them and spent the night in a treehouse in what was then the middle of the woods. I remember being scared, but Luann never was. I always thought she was fearless. But I guess that fearless also comes with the feeling of not having anything to lose. So now I'm going to go back to the rest of her 15-page note, and I'm going to pick it up at page 9. We just watched Gomer Pyle. It was a rerun, and now Lucy's on. It's a rerun, too, so I don't think I'll watch. It's time to get, anyway. Well, gotta go eat. Oh, just make yourself at home. Now I'm on the last page. I didn't think I could write you one this long. Well, I think I'll call you and tell you I made it to the 10th page. Well, I just called you, and now I'm going to start writing again, because now I have to write you 15 pages. Well, I just asked Dad if I could go to the game. He said yes, if I'll stay with you, if that's all right with you. Well, now let me see. I'm going to start writing big, because I'm running out of things to say. Well, you excuse that, because that's the way I make my wise. Oh, you know that 55 original hits on TV? Well, I'm going to buy it. Oh, do you know how much those basketball pictures are going to cost? Well, I'm going to buy me one if Dad lets me. Well, Sandra Overstreet just called and wanted to know if I wanted to buy some Girl Scout cookies, but I just said no and hung up. I've got to put my gown on. What should I wear tomorrow? I know, my jeans. I'm getting hungry. Ring! The telephone just rang again. I bet it's you. I guess I'll answer. Hello? Oh, it's just you. It was just Carl wanting Dad to come after him. So that's what Dad's doing now. I'm sorry about them mistakes. I'm guess I'm getting clumsy these days. Teresa is taking a bath and washing her hair. This is what you call fat riding. I guess I get her, better get back to my normal riding. Well, let me see here. I mean here. No, I mean smell. Well, to tell you the truth, I don't know what I mean. Oh, I'm falling off my bed. But you know what? I'm a big girl, and I didn't cry. And I even got back up on my bed all by myself. I just told a joke, but I guess no one caught it because no one's laughing. I thought it was pretty funny. I bet it will take you almost a whole period for you to read this. Wait, wait. Dad's screaming. He fainted. Oh, no. He's dead. Boo-hoo. Not really. Ha, ha, ha. Well, could have if he wanted to. Well, Teresa won't quit hitting me. In a minute, I'm going to box her head off. Well, I'm on the next to the last page. Have you noticed I haven't been going all the way to the margin? You know the reason I'm not going all the way over there? because I'm trying to finish this letter. Well, I think I'll just turn on the old radio if you don't mind. You like this station. It's good. It's the news. Well, I'll be through with your letter in a little bit. The telephone rang again. It was, guess, 
It was Carl again. Teresa just started crying because I poked her eye out. <laughs> well, Teresa should watch me because I think I'll tear her hair out. Here's a sample. <laughs> it, it is true, Luann taped a strand of her stepsister's hair to this 15th page. She used what looks like some kind of white bandage tape. Well, I'm on the last page. I would tell you how many words I wrote in your letter, but I'm too lazy to. Well, do you like my letter? You better write back soon. See you later. Sorry so short. Sorry so short. Love ya. Cricket. WBS. P.S. Don't let anybody see this letter. So that's the end of her 15-page letter. Luann's nickname was Cricket. And mine was Soda Pop from The Outsiders, of course. I don't remember where she got Cricket. And I only use Soda Pop in notes to her, never anywhere else. But Luann used Cricket for the rest of her life. Last year, my mom and my sisters and I took a trip to Oklahoma City. And while we were there, we went by the cemetery where Luann is buried. It's in a tiny community just outside the city called Spencer. Mom and Aunt Doris had been to her funeral, but none of us had ever been back after that. We couldn't find her grave, and the cemetery office was closed. So the next day, we called the office, and the man there said he would show us where it was when he came back out. He had to show us where it was because it was completely unmarked. Just a patch of grass between a, a round metal marker that said 79 on it and someone else's gravestone. No wonder we couldn't find it. It was just a patch of grass. Her dad and stepmom, or her husband at the time, never got her a headstone. Now, I'm not some big, picky protocol person about cemeteries and burials and all that, but if you, I think, if you're going to bury someone in a public cemetery, you ought to have the decency to mark her grave. So, my mom, my sisters, and my brother, and I, we all chipped in, and we bought her a tombstone that says her name, and also cricket, in quotation marks. We are 26 years late with this marker. It's another sign of my guilt. Of course, as a child, I had no idea she was being abused, but I still could have been nicer to her at times. And when she was an adult who said she was going to press charges against her father, I should have called her or something, and I didn't. Just listening to her letter, you can tell the kind of girl she was, the joy she had for life, the curiosity and energy. And of course, I read it now, seeing all the things that are between the lines. I read somewhere once that shame is the greatest of human emotions. It is something that drives a large part of our daily interactions and our conversations, this attempt to avoid doing something shameful or feeling ashamed. It's the one key emotion that sociopaths and serial killers and now uh, some presidents do not have. I talked earlier about abandonment, 
how it is the theme of so many fairy tales we grew up with. It is partly, it's partly so because these tales are metaphors for that transitional journey from child to adult. We do abandon our child selves when we become adults. But on the physical plane, in real time, we also abandon children in numerous spoken and unspoken ways. Luann was an abandoned child, and I took part in that abandonment. When I was in my 40s, I wrote a lot of poetry based on myths and fairy tales. This is one of them. It's called In the Familiar. He is the minor character. He is a catalyst. He carries an axe and is not bloodthirsty. But he may serve those who are. Or he may serve those who simply refuse to acknowledge blood ties. The Woodsman. Remember the story <clears throat> you heard as a child? How the queen spirited the woodsman from the castle with the babe wrapped in the robes of smothering envy. And she spoke, Take it into the woods and cut out its heart. Bring it to me as a token. A girl abandoned. And he could not. He left her in the wild wood and killed a boar instead and took that heart to the queen who ate it as a way of knowing that no one including the woodsman, could understand, and a stone rolled away from her heart. Or the story of the children abandoned in the woods, found and caged. Each day, Hansel would put his finger outside the cage so it could be tested for plumpness. Each day, his sister pulled the trick which allowed her to rescue them both to return to their father, a woodcutter. A girl and a boy abandoned, a woodsman as minor character. At twilight, the man climbed into the witch's garden to harvest the rampion lettuce for his wife until caught. Eat as much as you would like if you will give me your baby when born. Imprisoned in a tower, loved by a swift climber, sent to the desert for loving, and he blinded by thorns for the same. Remember how the woodsman cut the girl and her grandmother from the wolf? A deus ex machina, but a savior nonetheless. The woods, the woodsman, the garden, the witch, the children, abandonment. Climony wanted a child. Iasis wanted a boy. They had a girl whose name means equal in weight. Rapunzel, whose name means rampion, gave birth to twins in the darkness swept by wind, bleeding in a barren place, until he found her, and her tears healed his eyes so he could see, 
they had a boy and a girl. These children nestle in the curve of our spine, rummaging through our veins, clotting the flow. We breathe their stories in our dreams. They hide in our memories, caged by our fear of knowing. She wanted to eat the child's heart. He wanted wolves to devour it. Child, boy, girl. The witch who knows them. The woodsman who abandons and saves them. The desert we all wander in. The stones that roll away from our hearts. So, dear listener, I write poetry to try and get those stones to roll away from my heart. I think that's why people read it, too. <laughs>